Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We're glad you're here. We're in Matthew chapter uh, 19 this morning, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 15. 1 through 15. The title of the message is The Permanence of Marriage. The Permanence of Marriage. Beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command you one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of the hardness, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. I heard a story about a family that always cooks its hams in the same way for generation after generation. They had always cut off the last third of the ham and use it for other cooking purposes rather than cooking the whole ham. Now one of the children of the family one time said to her mom, Mom, why do you cut off the last third of the ham? And her mother answered, because that's the way my mother cooked it. Well, the child went to her grandmother and said, uh, Grandma, why, uh, why do you, did you cut off the last uh, third of the ham before you cooked it? And the grandma said, because that's the way my mother cooked it. Well, the great-grandmother was still alive. And so the child went to her uh, great-grandmother. And, uh, and she said, great-grandma, why do you cut off the last third of the ham before you cook it? And the great-grandma said, because the pan that I used to cook hams in was only so big and I have to cut off the last third of the ham. It always helps to go back uh, to the person who originated a custom or created it to find out what its purpose is for. Well, Matthew 19, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees who are always trying to trip him up, especially toward the end of Matthew. And they ask him one of the burning moral and religious questions of the day. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They looked at scripture from Deuteronomy 24 and they debated what 
the phrase some indecency meant. And we'll read that passage in just a minute. But there were two schools of thought among the Pharisees. One school of thought, the Rabbi Shammai school of thought, said the phrase some indecency meant that you can only divorce your wife for adultery or some kind of sexual uh, sin or unfaithfulness. And they said that was the only legitimate reason for divorcing uh, in the Shammai school. Now, the, the Rabbi Hillel school said the phrase some indecency, they emphasized the some, meant that you could divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever. You could divorce her if she was a lousy cook. You could divorce her if she spoke despairingly against your mom and daddy. You could divorce her if you saw someone else you, you were more attracted to and wanted to be married to them. So the Hillel school said you could divorce your wife for any reason you want. It doesn't matter. You can divorce your wife. And so they came to Jesus and they tried to get him involved in their internal dispute. But also they came to Jesus because they were hoping he would say something uh, that would get him in trouble with authorities. You remember John the Baptist actually got put in prison because he told Herod it was not lawful for him to be married to his sister-in-law, basically. And so they try to draw Jesus into their pettiness. But Jesus, he, knew, he knows what marriage is all about. Because Jesus is God the Son. And he was present when marriage was initiated. And the creator, Jesus himself, who John 1 says, by him all things were created. Not anything was created that was created except through him. He, the creator who created all things, he designed the very purpose and reason for marriage. And so he went, he was the originator of marriage. He's the one who started it in the first place. And he answered them in such a way that took them back to the initiation and creation of marriage by Almighty God. And so Jesus, in his answer, he talks about God's design for marriage in the very first place. And the answer Jesus gives uh, teaches us this timeless truth. God intends one man become one flesh with one woman in marriage until death destroys this union. God intends one man become one flesh with one woman in marriage until death alone destroys this union. Now in Deuteronomy 24, uh, this is the passage that the Pharisees were debating. When a man takes a wife, it's verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and if he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an ab- abomination before the Lord. And so that's the passage they were debating. And notice in that passage there was really only one commandment given. The commandment was really not even about divorce itself. It was the commandment that if a man did divorce his wife and she married someone else, he was not to sometime later on down the line remarry her. That's what the command was. But the Pharisees, they based the whole theology of marriage and a divorce on this passage. Well, Jesus would not engage in this discussion. 
Jesus instead took him to the very back to the very creation, back to the beginning, uh, and discussed with them God's intent and purposes in marriage. Jesus said this, have you not read? And he was kind of jabbing at them because there were supposed to be experts in the in the in the law, in the in the in the Torah. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus went back to the very beginning, the very, uh, the very first marriage and what God did there. And he talked about the reasons and the purposes for marriage. Uh, Michael Green wrote about this and lists some reasons uh, uh, for the purpose of marriage, the very intent of marriage. And I want to talk about these purposes this morning. First of all, the first purpose of marriage, uh, the first is that marriage is designed by God. The first thing we need to know about marriage is marriage is designed by God. Now, God thought of marriage. God ordained it and God designed it. God said the only thing good about his creation was it was not good for man to be alone. That's the only thing that God said was not good about his creation. And so the creator, God himself, originated marriage and designed it. Before any of the Old Testament covenants, before any human government, before the church, there was marriage and family. So marriage is no social construct or no social contract. Marriage did not evolve and come to be through human culture and adaptation. Now that's what they're teaching in a lot of places today. Marriage was designed and created by God. The very first God created social relationship. And so God determines what marriage is and what it is to be, not human beings or not human government. It's a God-given ordinance. God, marriage is designed by God. Secondly, marriage was meant to be complementary. Complementary. Now, God made them male and female. Male and female. It is not a unisex world. There is male and there is female. There's not three or 123 different types of genders. There is male and there is female. And, and they're different. And anyone that thinks men and women are the same, I don't know where they live. I mean, my wife and the other women that I know, they don't think like the guys I know. It's, it's some ways they do, but in a lot of things. And, and it's, not, it's not just how they were raised. It's, it's their very nature. You know, I heard about a little girl that, um, you know, we live in the day of uh, unisex toys. And, and I heard about this little girl who was tucking her brother's trucks into bed and putting blankets on them at night. You know, no boy would have thought of that, I don't think. We're different in, in the way that God designed and created us. And so marriage is between a man and a woman, complementary. We're made to fit together, actually. And God, who designed marriages, divine, defines marriage only in this way. 
Now, whatever same-sex relationships are, they can never be classified as marriages. They are not marriages. Uh, And, you know, I wouldn't have had to say this 20 years ago, but I have to say it today. A same-sex relationship is not as e- it's not an, an equally valid alternative to relationships because we are complementary. We are meant to be together. We live in a fallen world, but we need to understand marriage is meant to be complementary. Um, there's a complementarity about it. Thirdly, marriage was intended to be permanent. Marriage was intended to be permanent. Now, Jesus said the two will become one flesh. One flesh. They're going to fit together. Fit together. You know, the Greek word for one flesh actually means glued together. Glued together. Uh, The very physical words used to describe this union, Michael Green says, one flesh and united affirm the goodness of sexuality, one of God's most gracious gifts to his people. And sexuality is not something that Christians should disparage. This gluing together, this bonding, this one flesh, this permanent one flesh union until death do we part uh, is, is meant not to be broken by anything other than physical death. Uh, it, it's only to be broken by physical death. This gluing together is meant to only happen within marriage and not outside of it. And that's why sexual activity outside of marriage is always wrong. It always distorts God's intents. Premarital sex, adultery, every other form of sexual activity out of marriage distorts the picture that God created of one man coming together with one woman for life and being one flesh until death do the part. God's original design is that marriage is to be lifelong. His original design. His original design. That's what he intends. That's what he wants. And I'll talk about later. It doesn't always happen that way, but let's not forget. Let's don't, let's don't get ahead of ourselves because he intends for marriage to last a lifetime. And any deviation from that is a deviation from the creator's purpose. So marriage is to be uh, permanent. Third, uh, fourthly, marriage is to be exclusive. Marriage is to be exclusive. The man is to be united to his wife. He has become one flesh with his wife and his wife alone, and she's become one flesh with him and with him alone. You're not permitted to have a little flutter on the side. And she is not permitted to have a little flutter on the side. We are to, we are, we are to seek fulfillment in I, a husband is in his wife, and a wife is to seek fulfillment in, a, in her husband. And it's to be exclusive. There's an exclusiveness about marriage. You know, Carla and I have, have things about our marriage that just are just us and nobody else. And our, our, our relationship, even though I love every one of you, men and women, every one of you here I love, but I don't love you in the same way that I love my wife. It's a different kind of exclusive relationship. And it was meant to be like that. And, I, and, and there are some things that I'm to find fulfillment in her and she's to find fulfillment in me and, and we are to go nowhere else. Now we all know that we won't find perfect fulfillment in any human being and we, we don't 
we don't want to put that. I don't want to make Carla have to fulfill my life. But there's certain things that, that she does for me and I do for her that no one else can do for us. And we look to find perfect fulfillment, of course, in God alone. And, but we are to be exclusive. We are to be completely faithful to our spouses. Uh, no, um, no person is to look outside of his wife or his husband for the kind of fulfillment that only they should bring. In finding a fulfillment in each other, they discover on earth a model of the relationship between Jesus and his church, Jesus and the believer. Marriage to be is to be exclusive. Fifthly, marriage is to be nuclear. I think I went too far. There it is. Marriage is to be nuclear. Now, nuclear means that the primary relationship of society is between husband and wife. It's between a husband and wife. Uh, Because it's the primary relationship of society, that means leaving as well as cleaving. Now, marriage represents a fundamental transfer of allegiance from parents to spouse. From parents to spouse. There's got to be a substantial measure of distancing from the old generation in order to create a new generation. A fresh family unit is in the making. Now, the new couple, of course, is going to be helped a lot and supported by their parents. But the fact remains, they are a new unit and they need the freedom to behave as such. Our spouses really are our primary relationships throughout life. You understand that? Our, every other relationship we have is, is changeable. You realize that? Uh, we'll always be our parents' child, but we won't always relate to our parents the same. If your parents are still bossing you around, you're 36 years old and you're living in their home, there's something wrong with that, right? You become an adult and you are to... You, your relationship with your parents is to, is to be more, is to be an adult kind of relationship. Uh, you honor them, but it's different. Also, our relationships with our children are different. Uh, well, uh, when, when they reach adulthood, and as they grow to adulthood... It's changing and that we're releasing them more and more to become independent and not dependent on us. And we try to help them to make more decisions and we hopefully give them more freedom uh, because they, we don't want them to be dependent on us. And, and I don't want my children to be resort, resentful toward me because they are adults and they are to make their own decisions. Do I always agree with the decisions my adult children make? Well, no, I don't. You know? Sometimes I wish they would have done something different, but, but you know, they're adults. I've got to give them that freedom. And so that kind of relationship changes. Yes, my children, our children will always be our children. And my parents will always be my parents, and I will always be their child. But the relationship changed. But the relationship between a husband and wife, that, that's, that's kind of the same. That's a lifelong relationship that we are to support each other, uh, support each other um, until death we do death parts us. Uh, our spouses are a primary lifelong relationship that lasts until death, and it lasts throughout entire life. So marriage, 
is nuclear. Sixthly, marriage is to be the vehicle through which children are born and reared. Now, God's design for marriage is that we would be fruitful and multiply. Children are a part of his design for marriage. In a marriage, children are to be born into a husband and wife relationship. In a relationship where husband and wife love and are loyal to each other, uh, children more than any other situation will flourish. In that situation where the, where the husband and the wife are committed to each other, they love each other, children are going to flourish in that kind of relationship. Uh, I think that's why the blessing of children that we, that we read about in Matthew, where the children were brought to Jesus, I think there's a connection with him talking about marriage in the first uh, 12 verses. Um, because children born in a marriage, that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. Now, that doesn't mean that children born outside of a marriage are not still a, uh, any less a gift of God than children born in marriage. But it's just not God's best for them. And they will have a harder time in life than children born through a loving marriage. And that's just the way it is. You can look at study after study after study. Children need a mother who more likely will tenderly love them when they're wounded and understand their hurts and tell them, you know, I understand your hurts because I've been hurt myself. But they also need the tough love of a, of a father who more likely will say, stop crying, get on your feet, get moving again. Don't let the pains of life keep you from doing what you need to do. You see, marriage is the best place uh, for children to be ways. And, and I know there are single moms and single dads and things happen beyond our control or things happen that shouldn't happen that we regret have happened. And God helps us with those kind of children. My dad's mother died when he was six years old. That was just the way it was. And he was raised by a single dad his whole life. And looking just kind of how my dad related to women sometimes, I think I think there was kind of a you know, a, a little bit of a gap. I think he might have known better how to treat my mom if, he, if his mother would have been living. I think because a mom and a dad present in a marriage is the best way to raise children. Yes, God helps other situations too, but his intent from the beginning and the best thing that can happen is for children to have a mother and dad who love each other and are committed to each other, and are committed to loving their children and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You've heard it probably a million times. You know, you know that one of the most important things you can do for your children is to let them know that mom and dad are together until death do them part. You want to give your children security? Let them know that you're with each other and you're you're going to support each other. You know, it's us against the children sometimes. You're, it was with my house sometimes, you know. Especially my daughter. She tried to work us. And I think Carla and I, one of the good things that we did was, we might disagree in private, but we didn't let our kids, you know, do that to us. But, but just marriage is the vehicle through which children are to be born and reared. 
Then I think Jesus teaches this about marriage. Marriage is not for everyone. Now, marriage is not for everybody. The disciples said to him in verse uh, in verse uh, 10, if such is the case with the man and his wife, it's better not to marry. I mean, I, I'd hate to think what their marriages were like, but anyway, it's better not to marry. He said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let... let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now the disciples were kind of amazed at the rigor of Jesus' teaching because that wasn't the way it was in their culture. You know, these Pharisees, these religious leaders were marrying and divorcing all the time. They were making a, they were making a mockery of marriage, basically. And they were the religious leaders. And the disciples looked at this and they said, man, there seems to be with what you're saying, Jesus... No way out of a disastrous union. And so they thought it's better not to marry. And then Jesus told them something that being married is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Some are single for a variety of reasons. Some are single because of the way they are born. Some are single because of something that happened to them physically. Some are single because they, for the sake of the kingdom, have not married And they are better able to serve the Lord by being single. That is their decision and their choice. Uh, There are single single believers who because of the way they are, uh, they just know it's better for them not to marry. You know, there are are single believers who have same-sex attractions. And they know that it's better, that they know that Sex outside of marriage is wrong, and so for the sake of the kingdom, they choose to remain single in their life. You see, sex outside of marriage is wrong, so if you're single, God intends for you to be celibate, for you to be celibate. And for most people, that's not the good option. But, but for some, because of physical problems or the inability to, to live a celibate life because of sexual self-control, they can't do this. We should celebrate and help single people live holy single lives. What does that mean for the church? We need to help single people develop intimacies with friends uh, to, to develop... Uh, strong relationships so that that you know a lot of our sexual desires are because we don't have intimacy with other people and so we need to help single people uh, so they can have strong relationships that that meets those kind of needs that they have in their lives we should celebrate and help single people in living holy single lives we should help them develop deep friendships within the family of God to live as God wants them to live now, the church has not celebrated singleness and not helped single people. Sometimes single people are made to feel like second-class citizens. Second-class citizens. And that's wrong. That's not the way it should be. There is a picture of, of a wholehearted love for God when any person for the sake of the kingdom remains single, whether that's for their lives or whether that's just for a period of time. There are, the, there are those who are called to be single for either a long or short period of time. Uh, and the Apostle Paul was single. 
You realize that? He seemed to indicate the ability to live a celibate life was kind of a God-given gift. And so God's people should support and celebrate those who are called to the single life. And we should love them and we should thank God for them. Now Jesus is answering the very question uh, and answering the Pharisees' kind of dilemma. He takes us back to the beginning. He takes us back to the reason that marriage was created. It's the basic cell in all society. And Jesus stressed that God invented it and God wants it to be preserved. So the Pharisees came back to him. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now Jesus told the Pharisees, because of the hardness of their heart, that God did not command divorce, but God permitted divorce because of the hardness of human heart. Moses allowed divorce, but that was not what God intended in the beginning. His best is for one man to marry one woman and be together for life. And divorce was made an allowance because of the brokenness of humanity. Because of the brokenness of humanity. You see, when a believer marries, or when a believer, when you become a believer and you are married, first of all, you should never get married if you don't intend to stay married for life. It takes commitment and work to be married, doesn't it? Both partners in a marriage are sinful human beings who have to deny themselves daily, deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow Jesus. Believers should be committed that nothing should happen from from them that would destroy their marriage. There should be no sexual sin or unfaithfulness or cruelty or abuse that would destroy a marriage. That's God's idea. That's what we should strive for. God does not want divorce. But I want to say this, in the fallen world we live in, divorce happens. Sometimes it's a lesser of evils. Sometimes it happens because one partner wants out, and the other really has no say because they don't want divorce. Maybe that's happened to you. It happened to my brother. I know this, believers should not be the reason for divorce, right? Believers, we should not seek divorce under, under most circumstances. And I, and I do qualify that because I do think there are some reasons for divorce. If a person is, is totally abusive, if they're serially un, unfaithful, I'm not going to get into all those because... Because it's just too long a sermon, but but I believe that that there are I believe that in most circumstances believers should not seek divorce if you are in danger, maybe maybe separation. I don't know. I'm dealing with a lot of questions here, and you all know that's too. It's, I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But if divorce happens, however, if it happens. And, you, and, and it just it's the way it is. 
There's nothing you can do about it. Most of the times you can't undo divorce, right? Your ex may be involved in another relationship or has remarried. Maybe you've remarried. God doesn't intend for you to leave the marriage you're in and go back and try to make the first one work. He intends for you to make the one you're in today be the way He wants it to be from now on. You know, isn't that what repentance is? You know, sometimes we, 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 we make repentance hard, but repentance is just knowing I haven't lived the life, I haven't gone the direction that I should have gone. And now... I'm, I'm going to start going a different direction. I've done what I want to do, and now I'm going to now from this time on, I'm going to do what God has me to do. God forgives if you seek His forgiveness. You know, the story of the woman at the well is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You know, Jesus was talking to her about living water and then then she says, give me that water and Jesus says, go call your husband. And the woman said, well, I don't have a husband. What did Jesus say? You've had five husbands and, and you're right, the one you're living with now is not your husband. And Jesus continued to share with her about his love, And she came to believe in him as the Messiah. He took her right where she was. She turned, her life went in a different direction and she began to walk the way that she needed to walk. I don't know what all that meant. Wouldn't you kind of like to know the rest of the story? How did it all work out? You know, what happened to the dude she was living with? You know, all these kind of things. And I don't know. The only thing I do know is that she began to walk the way Jesus wanted her to walk. She put her trust in Jesus. She put her trust in Jesus. So God forgives if you seek His forgiveness. Make the marriage in now all that God wants it to be. All that one wants it to be. Make a commitment that the marriage you're in now is going to be the one you're in until you're dead. Or, or your spouse is dead. After seeking God's forgiveness, live in that forgiveness and move on. You may still have to live with some of the consequences of a past divorce or past mistakes, but you don't have to live in the guilt because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. Yes, it does. Don't be like the Pharisees today who look for loopholes. To get out of being married. They looked for loopholes to, to continue. What they did was they treated their wives as property. Our spouses are not our property. To be disposed of when we get tired of them. Or are enamored with someone else. God intends for the marriage that you are in now. He wants it to be truly one of his best gifts to you. Best gifts to me. Yes at times it's going to be hard. If you've been married, you know there are times it is hard. And there will be time you'll have to work and sacrifice so it gets better. But it's worth it to have the kind of marriage and home that God wants you to be. Wants you to have. I'm glad 
that Carla and I are growing old together. I'm not glad about growing old. In fact, I, I found I don't really like it that much. As I, I used to joke about it when I was younger, but now it's kind of, I don't really like growing old, but I'm glad I'm growing old with her. And she's growing old with me. You see, God intends one man become one flesh with one woman in marriage until death alone destroys that union. Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your giftedness to us. We thank you for the gift of our, of our, our spouse. We thank you that marriage is a gift to us, Lord. And that in it, Lord, there, there, there are things that we learn about life that we don't learn in other ways. Father, I want to also thank you for those who are single today. And I pray that they're encouraged. And I pray that you'd help us to help them to live the life that you are calling them to live, Lord. Just as your servant Paul Lord, serve you as a single man. Help us to help our single brothers and sisters serve you and love you and live for you. Help us as a church to meet some of their emotional needs that maybe uh, would be met, but, but, but can't be met because they're not married and help us to meet those needs, Lord. Lord, just forgive us when we failed as, as husband or wife. Forgive us when we haven't treated our spouses like we should. Help us, Lord, as men to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Help our wives to love us and, and, and respect us and give us that kind of respect, that kind of uh, thing that every man needs from his wife. Lord, make us truly partners as we serve you and live for you until death parts us. I pray that you would just, anybody here that needs to, uh, to do business with you, I pray that they would just seek your face and know that you're a loving God who loves them and receives them and helps them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.